Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Viva Alberto's podcast. My name is John Fleming. I'm a writer and editor at Viva Alberto's, joined as always by the one who sits further away from the microphone than me, (laughs) also a writer and editor at Viva Alberto's, Heather Simon. Hi everyone. Heather still, that was supposed to be a hint, I guess it wasn't a subtle one. I feel like I'm sitting really close to it, like, I'm like... Right on top of the microphone. Right okay. Now. Well, well, we'll judge the audio levels as it goes <laughs> and not actually make any adjustments to it because we're not very good at actually editing. But anyway, we're gonna <laughs> act, we aren't just going to talk about the nuts and bolts of recording here. We're going to talk about actual Cardinals baseball, which the la- the homestand that just concluded in the time between our last episode and now was not the best homestand. The Cardinals went one and four during it. They go out to uh, Los Angeles tomorrow night. Which we're recording on Monday night for anyone who, I don't know, is listening to this. I guess I should give the exact date. It's uh, May 22nd is when we're <laughs> recording this. I feel like I'm sound tired here. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we got some uh, news to discuss. Uh, one of the big stories was um, Matt Adams, who's been on the Cardinals. He's, well, 2012 is when he made his Major League debut. He was drafted in 2009. 2012, he made his debut. 2013, he was on the... St. Louis Cardinals, I believe the whole season, certainly a vast majority of it. And then 2014, he became a full-time starter and sort of uh, fell by the wayside this year once Matt Carpenter ended up taking the first base spot. We'll discuss uh, Matt Adams' legacy in just a second. First of all, Heather, where were you when you when you heard the news about Matt Adams, uh, on, which broke on Saturday at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon? I think I was sitting on my couch... On Sunday afternoon, reading your text message (laughs) (laughs) that said, we can talk about the Matt Adams trade. And I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, totally. Know the the Matt Adams. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I went and looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's a thing that happened, apparently. Heather was a little bit out of the loop this weekend, so Mm -hmm. we'll uh, we'll fill her in as we (laughs) go here. But before we get to that, okay, so just if you were to guess... Okay, since 1996, so when Tony La Russa took over as manager up through today, where would you guess Matt Adams ranks? Oh, we're getting some dog cameos again, aren't we? <laughs> That's not me. All right, I Kane, you can help with trivia too. Yeah. Where, where would you guess since 96 Matt Adams ranks in uh, plate appearances for the St. Louis Cardinals? Since 96? Yeah. I, I can tell you right now I would have no idea where to even start with this, so it's really unfair. It, can you give me like one through something? Or, or like... Well, that's the actual trivia question. I'm just asking you this as, oh, a, as a preface. He's 12th. Uh, he's 25th. Okay. I would have no, had no idea where to start either. But anyway, there have been uh, 24 players since 1996 who have more played appearances than Matt Adams with St. Louis Cardinals. I bet you know what the question is. I need to name the people with more played appearances since 1996? Correct. Okay. So... Any people with more plate appearances, right? That's all it has to be is more plate appearances since 1996. Correct. That's it. I didn't even bother writing down the number of plate appearances they had, so just... It's not like just first baseman or anything. Correct. It's just total plate appearances regardless of position with the St. Louis Cardinals since 1996. Okay. And including 96. Let's go with Yadier Molina. Yep, Yadier Molina is number two. Um, Albert Poolholz. He's number one. Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter is number seven. Alan Craig. Alan Craig is number 16. Whew. And we'll give you three strikes, I guess, as a, oh, cool. since there's a long list. 
Let's go with Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright is incorrect. I don't know um, why you guessed a pitcher, but... Well, because he's been on the team for like 10 years. He, I figured he might have accumulated... No, not, not quite. Over... 1,200 plate appearances or whatever it is that Matt Adams has. Right. Adam Wainwright is strike one. Okay. Let's I, I will go ahead and give you a hint. Probably don't guess another pitcher. Let's go with uh, John Jay. John Jay is number 10. Um, you, you have a guess, Kane? Daniel Descalzo is what he thinks. Daniel Descalzo is uh, incorrect. Um, let's try Matt Holiday. Holiday is number four. Let's try. Really shouldn't have given a guess to your dog. I don't know what he's supposed to know about baseball. Yeah, he really liked Daniel Scalso because I think his nickname was Dirty Dan. Was they about the same height? Is that what it was? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, ninety six. What do you think? Who's played since ninety six? I feel like there's got to be something like from the early aughts. Oh, like. Um, Jim Edmonds. Yep, Jim Edmonds is number three. So you have the top four. Cool. Let's go with Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland is number eight. Cool. Ouch. Um, there's got to be more from those teams. Mike Matheny? Mike Matheny is number 14. Yes! Okay. Um, Awfully confident for somebody to guess Adam Wainwright. Well, I wanted to eliminate the that possibility. So if Adam Wainwright didn't have... The right like amount of play appearances, then no pitcher would. I had to eliminate pitchers. Let's see. Who else has been on the team for a long time, or was on the team for a long time? Did I say David Freeze already? You did not say David Freeze. Do you want to say David Freeze? Ooh, yes. Yep, he's number 18. Daniel Scalza wasn't on there, so I doubt Pete Cosmo is. <laughs> um... Who else? Who else? Who else? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank here. I gotta think of some more. No, not David Eckstein. Um, John Mabry. John Mabry is number fifteen. <laughs> Whoops. Kane. Knocked over the microphone there. He's too excited. He hears me. He's hearing me talk. And to be fair, we knocked over the microphone a lot before you had a dog walking around. Yeah. A rather, a rather large dog at that. They don't have to know that. We should probably make him the episode picture one of these times, just so listeners. Yeah. Let's see. What else? How many do I have left? Give me a recap here. You have so far said... You said 11. 11 of the 24. So I'm probably not going to get all 24. So Probably not. You've already, you only have one strike left. And I've pretty much used all the catchers. I've used all the pitchers. Kane, leave him alone. Kane's trying to get a peek at the list here. He's. I appreciate your help, though, buddy. Okay. I've... He guessed Daniel Descalzo. That was not a great guess. Eh, it, was all, it wasn't bad. Let's go with uh, Ray Langford. Ray Langford, he is on there. Let me. It's uh, He's number six. Yeah. When has Ray Langford ever let me down? I think you guessed he had the highest career WRC plus in that one episode with Drew Silva, I think. Yeah. He let you down there. Well, he never let me down in spirit. Um, let's see. I don't know. Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire is number 11. Whew. 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 Okay. You're getting really nervous here. I'm running out of, running out of ideas. 
Um, Gary Bennett. Was he a pitcher? Gary Bennett was not a pitcher. I'm guessing him. Gary Bennett is incorrect. <laughs> I would guess Bennett probably had the fewest of your three strikes. I don't but know. But he was only on the team for like a year, I think. Or... That was just a name that came to mind. All right, well. I'm out of ideas, and I don't want to prolong this any longer for our poor listeners. Well, you got uh, 13 out of the 24. The ones you missed, number five, Edgar Renteria. I was wondering if I should have guessed him. No, I didn't know how many years he was on the team. Number nine, who was higher than I would have guessed, uh, Skip Schumacher. Oh, right. Number 12, J.D. Drew. Oh, right. Number 13, Fernando Vina. Number 17, Ryan Ludwick. Where's Polanco? Is he on that list, too? Let's go. 19 is a name you mentioned but did not say David Eckstein. Oh, I should have guessed. Number 20 is Placido Polanco. Number 21 is Colton Wong. Number 22 oh. is Johnny Peralta. Number 23, I would not have guessed, is on the list, but Eli Marrero. I don't even know who that is. He was one of the players that was traded for Wainwright. Yep, don't remember. Okay. When did that happen? The, the trade for Wainwright? Yeah, what year? Before the 04 season. Okay, I was like, Alright, all right, whatever. I wasn't okay. really following trades, to be quite honest. Uh, okay, anyway, In the though. newspaper. Yeah, 11-year-old Heather pulling out the newspaper. Let's see here. The internet was definitely... Eli Marrero for Adam Wainwright. The internet was definitely a thing at that point, but... Uh, that didn't mean that we had it. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, number 24 was Royce Clayton. So, uh, that is the entirety of players that have had more played appearances with the St. Louis Cardinals since Tony La Russa took over as manager than Matt Adams, who was traded to the Atlanta Braves on um, Saturday afternoon at around uh, 5 p.m. I actually went to the game that day, and he was traded like 45 minutes or so before the game started. And I kept seeing people around the stadium who were wearing Matt Adams jerseys. And like, like obviously, they were not wearing it because he got traded, unless they lived like right next to the stadium, because they would have you know, been en route already at that point. But I remember thinking, like, do they know... Yeah. Like, are, I, I know because I checked Twitter, I saw the, the trade alert, but are they aware of... That was definitely Kane's fault. Okay. I don't even know if they heard that, but anyway, but, <laughs> like, do they know that Matt Adams got traded, or is this just, like, a thing that I don't want to tell them because maybe he's their favorite Cardinal ever and it's just maybe. going to destroy their day? Maybe it's one of those things where there's just as many people in that Adams jerseys as normally... But you oh yeah it better. oh yeah it was definitely not a it's not like everybody was wearing a Matt Adams jersey literally the whole stadium was it was Matt Adams jersey giveaway day ironically enough yeah I think that'd be at this point kind of a sad giveaway day it'd be like that one time that I think Jason Tyner got a bobblehead day for the Rays and like that was when they were the Devil Rays it was back when they were bad but he ended up getting uh, sent down to the minors but they still had the bobblehead day I think that it was was happened to Colton Wong too they had the Hawaiian shirt giveaway thing and then he was sent down to the minors and he played uh, for Hawaiian shirt giveaway day in the minors and then I think he got called back up just in time to play for the Hawaiian shirt giveaway day in the majors so it worked out best for everyone it was almost a little too convenient that time but <laughs> anyway Adams was uh, traded for Juan Velez who's a uh, a Braves prospect I honestly, and I have no problem with the fact that people started asking me, hey, what do you know about this uh, Juan Velez guy? I don't know anything about him. I had never heard of him. He was not really considered a major prospect for the Braves organization, but um, according to uh, Aaron Schaefer, the Red Baron on Sunday, he seems to like certain things about him. He's certainly not a can't-miss prospect, but there's at least some chance that he could materialize in something. Plays third base currently, but may settle in at first base, but... 
I think it's safe to say that this trade is not about Juan Velez. The trade was about Matt Adams. It was about the fact that at this point, Matt Adams does not really have or did not really have a role with the Cardinals. And uh, that's why he was traded. But before we talk about the current implications, um, just, I guess, how will how will we as fans remember the Matt Adams era, to put it way too over the top? Depends if you can swear. Because <laughs> I'll always remember the Matt Adams bat flip and the F, yeah. He had a few very good bat flips in yes, there. Yes, that was probably one of my favorite moments. I accumulated... Just there was only four because you know you don't want to put too many videos. But in my article from Monday today, I put in a couple of videos of some of my favorite Matt Adams moments, starting with the two home runs, hitting extra innings, and his like first game of really gonna where he had to play a lot. And then when he shoved that Reds fan, that was the se- the second one. And then the three-run home run off Kershaw, and then the extra innings home run. Those were all some of my favorites. Yeah, the home run off Kershaw is definitely the most important moment of the Matt Adams career. And he, he didn't, it wasn't a bat flip per se. What I'm trying to remember. Because he had like it a, was a... He kind of flipped it because they... He had dogged it a little bit, certainly. Mm-hmm. Or he did the, like the fingers in the air, clearly knew it was a home run kind of thing. And the dejected look of Clayton Kershaw. There's something very magical about those moments where a player that I have absolutely nothing against just looks so sad. It's like the sad Nolan Ryan videos of the (laughs) 2011 World Series. Like, I had no problem with Nolan Ryan. I like Nolan Ryan. But it's still, it's fun to see him a little bit sad in a very maniacal way. But, yeah, the the home run off Bud Norris in the 16th inning last year was a, uh, I think, definitely one of the at least top five highlights of last season for me. And. Mm -hmm. I remember watching that entire game at a bar with some friends of mine and just, like, by the end of it, just being exhausted. And then <laughs> the bat flip just just rejuvenating us. Like, I'm one of those people that's not really super into bat flips. Like, I don't have a moral problem against them or anything. I don't think that, you know, Jose Bautista doing a bat flip is a sign of the moral decay of baseball or of America or anything like that. But, like, generally they're kind of, like... Save them for great moments, sort of yeah. thing. Like if it's a home run in the top of the third inning to put your team only behind like six to one, eh, whatever. Like it just it doesn't really have that much inherent excitement for me. But right. if it's in a big moment, like the sixteenth inning of a game or the playoffs against Clayton Kershaw, then that can certainly uh, and that that's works. when I think you get you see bat flips done more because people are excited and it's just part of the emotion of it. When someone's down six nothing and they hit a solo home run, they're not really feeling in a bat flippy kind of mood, yeah. and no one's really in a mood to see it either. So that's why when people are complaining about bat flips, it's they're almost always done with like some sort of high mood. In, yeah, in I'm, mind. I'm pro bat flip when it comes to a moment of showing genuine excitement where you're just right. caught up in the moment. But if there's any sense of like it's premeditated or you're bat flipping because you feel like it's part of your celebration routine, I just right. That's that. I don't again, really it's like not. That. It's not that I'm personally offended. I just don't care. I'm just. I don't really like contrived things. That's why I'm not. I like like touchdown dances and stuff. Like they're fine, but I'm not really a fan of like like. Just the, the more orchestrated ones of like during like the peak years of the touchdown dances, like Joe Horn pulling the cell phone out of the the right. field goal thing, or uh, Terrell Owens with the sharpie. And I feel like there's some other big one I'm missing, but those are all just kind of like, I mean, I appreciate the gamesmanship, I guess, but also, <laughs> like, 
yeah, like, it's too much. It's extra. Yeah, like it just it's, at some point I just and again I don't even care if they do it. I just don't like my apathy of not considering it a great moral problem also extends to me not considering particularly exciting or interesting. Right. I guess my main point is that something that's like pure and genuine emotion is always better than a pre-conceived, contrived sort of. It's bo- that's boring. Yeah, I like the actual display of emotion, and I feel like you can't take that out of the game. I feel like it makes the game good. Yeah, that's why my stance on the uh, the Jose Batista thing, and just because he came back up in the news in the last week or two about a bat flip that he did, the one that was a week or so ago, just like it just didn't really make sense to me as sort of like, uh, like he can't be feeling it that much. I don't know what the scenario is. I don't know. This well, he's story. been having a really lousy season, and it was it was early in the game. It wasn't like it was a walk off or anything like that, and just didn't really. I mean, we don't we don't know what's going on in his life, though. Yeah, maybe he told a kid with cancer he was going to hit a home run for them, and then he hit the home run for them, and then he bat flipped it to the moon. It was one of those things where, in a vacuum, it didn't really register with me in any particular way. But then once people get outraged about it, I, I start to defend the bat flip just because right. I find the outrage so much dumber than the actual infraction. Yeah. But the bat flip against the Rangers in the playoffs in 2015 was amazing. <laughs> that, that was awesome. I loved that because it was just, it was so forceful. It was so the right time for it. The crowd was just going absolutely crazy. It was a heated series. It was an enormous moment. And those bat flips are bat flips. Like, but... Anyway, the Matt Adams thing, as far as his, uh, to go back to the actual topic at hand, <laughs> the Matt Adams, uh, he's sort of an interesting player in that, obviously, he, they couldn't have probably thought he was that much of a prospect in his first couple of years because he continued to play first base throughout the minors when Albert Pools was in the organization. And then, and like he was a somewhat late pick out of Slippery Rock University. It's it's sad to think that we're not going to get to hear Slippery Rock University all the time. And now that Mitch Harris is no longer at the Cardinals organization, no one can hear about how he was, went to the Naval Academy. Like, at this point, who is the college? Um, or John Jay with Miami was a big one, too. Stephen Piscotti. Piscotti, Stanford, yeah. Bowman Princeton gets a little bit less love than you would think. Yeah, it does. But he's not in as much as Stephen Piscotti. Whenever they play against Jake Arrieta, the Matt Carpenter, Jake Arrieta, TCU connection is definitely a big one. You know Adam Wainwright's from Georgia? Did you know that he... Yeah, he was actually a Braves fan growing up, if you (laughs) didn't hear. How many other... I'm trying to think of how many other players even went to college. You have the Colton Wong, Greg Garcia, Hawaii connection. I don't follow college baseball at all. So my overall, uh, Gritchick was out of high school, Fam was, I think, drafted out of high school. Eh, who cares? But, <laughs> oh, Waka and a that's a yeah. big one. Lance Lynn, Ole Miss, okay. Yeah. I guess I know more than I thought I did. But also, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, with, with Matt Adams, he was never a player who I don't think the Cardinals ever thought was going to really be a superstar. And granted, he never was, but he hung around for a long time. As we mentioned, like there were 24 players who had more plate appearances than him. And other than a couple names at the end, there's some you know, pretty big names on that list in recent Cardinals lore. And I think that with Adams, his legacy, it's a little bit like with John Jay for me, where he was never a great player. He was never meant to be a great player. 
but I have a lot of respect for the fact that he just kind of kept hanging on right up until the point that it just became like unbearable and there was just no point to it. Because at this point, the Matt Adams, like, and as much as we made fun of Matt Adams in left field, and I was as much leading the charge on that as anybody, I commend the fact that he tried. Like, right. it, like it could not have been comfortable for him to be going out to a position where there was so much criticism of him. There were so many groans anytime he did anything even remotely wrong in left field. Mm-hmm. But he just wanted to be part of the team. Right. And I, like, I don't want to give players too much credit for doing what they're told. But, you know, I commend the fact that he tried. And I think that it's good for him to get a fresh start. He'll go to Atlanta now. He'll be the starting first baseman for a while because Freddie Freeman's on the DL. I thought I heard he got sent down already. Adams? Yeah. I thought I just read I that. haven't checked the news at all today, so... Um, we could probably go ahead and check that. But I think that with Adams, though, it just gives him a new, or even if he did, like it gives him a new organization to work with. It gives him new opportunities. And with the Cardinals, it had just run its course. Like he was pretty much just, you know, done for. I don't see anything about him getting. I swear I read that somewhere, but I can't remember where. Maybe I dreamt it. Maybe he got sent down to Atlanta, which is a second-tier team. Maybe that was the implication of somebody snarky. But, yeah. With the... <laughs> but, yeah, the whole uh, Adams thing, like, he just kind of, you know, hung on and... Like, I'll miss him in a weird way. Like, he was never my favorite player on the Cardinals, but at the same time, you know, these guys are sort of... Like, they're part of the family, they, right. And he's been around for, like, how many players have been on the Cardinals longer than Matt Adams? Like, there are some, but there, it's not most of them. Like, he had more tenure than a lot of these guys, and he was really only a full-time starter for two years, and even a lot of those had, you know, mixed things happen. Because he was not on the playoff roster in 2015, and all of a sudden I'm blanking why. Was it Mark Reynolds starting in 2015 in the playoffs? Is that... And then maybe Piscotty got to start at first base. There was one year where he hurt um, his leg pretty badly, too. Yeah, he, he had gotten hurt during 2015 and also hadn't been having a great season anyway. And then, uh, yeah, but I, w- I was hoping this year that he would have value as a like a pinch hitter. But his WRC Plus is it's in the 90s for the year, which it's not terrible. But if a guy doesn't really have a lot of defensive or base running value and he's just a guy coming off the bench, then you need somebody more than that to justify a roster spot. So I understand why they made the trade. I'm not really disappointed by the return. There's sort of a a St. Louis thing where, and this happens even more with the Blues, and I feel like I've mentioned this before on the podcast, where we think that there's such an urgency of, oh, we have to trade this guy. This guy is redundant. We need to get rid of this guy. And then we get mad at the return once it comes through, not realizing that if we're so willing to part with a guy... There's probably a reason the teams don't want to give up too much for him. Because otherwise, why would you be trading him? Right. Makes sense. <laughs> and, like, ironically, that was a big thing with John Jay whenever, like, after the 2015 season. And I, I loved John Jay personally. You know, while recognizing that he had limits in his game and that, you know, really he's sort of a tweener between being a fourth outfielder and a starting outfielder. But... There was such a sense of urgency of, oh, well, he's completely broken now. It turns out he wasn't completely broken. He's bounced back and had been at least an adequate player since. But 
then when the Cardinals got Jed Jerko, there was such an uprising of, oh, this is what they got for him. <laughs> and they got a player who's, you know, demonstrated power, and especially since joining the Cardinals has demonstrated power, so. I always joke that getting Jed Jerko back in that trade was worth it because now they don't have to play him anymore. Because it just seemed like every time the Cardinals played the Padres, Jed Jerko would just destroy them personally. So I was like, maybe they'll get a couple wins back yeah. just by him not being on the Padres. I liked the Jer- I liked the Jericho acquisition from the beginning, but I did not expect to fall in love with him as much as I have. <laughs> he, like he's like my favorite Cardinal now. It's so weird and so unexpected. Like I went into the season thinking, oh, who are my favorite player is going to be? Like, I've always liked Piscotti and Lynn, and you know Fowler's endeared himself so well, and I still like those guys. But like I'm a huge Jed Jerko guy now, and <laughs> who could have seen it coming? Not I. Not I either. But anyway, best of luck to Matt Adams, best of luck to uh, the Cardinals, and I'm not sure who the backup first baseman will be at this point. I mean, whenever um, Martinez comes back, hopefully from uh, the disabled list, he's he played some first base. Jerko can play Jerko first base. can play first base, and uh, I feel like with first base, well, you can find somebody who will do it. <laughs> as much as the whole Matt Holiday thing um, was maligned, they eventually tried it. Eventually, right. some, yeah. You can find an infielder, I think, that can play first. Yeah, I mean, Yachty could even play first if and that, he needed. And that's really a big part of why the Matt Adams trade made sense is just because he was an asset that could be replaced pretty easily mm-hmm. to a point where you want to get him, ideally you want to do right by him. And sometimes I imagine, like I think of like the scenes in Moneyball where – you know, the GM's calling in the player and having to explain to him that he was traded and thinking of all the times where this happens and the player, I'm sure, feels let down. But I feel like that was probably a relatively happy conversation. Like, I'm sure Matt Adams did not want to be traded, but I feel like it's pretty easy to explain. Look, you're going to get a chance to actually play right at first base. Right. Like, at a position that you're actually, like, a competent defender at. So, yeah, good for him. But I think another... Uh, thing that happened, I, I guess to go back even a few hours earlier to that, was uh, Luis Robert signing with the White Sox. I don't really have a, much of a take on this. I kind of had a suspicion that they were going to not win the... the. Well, part of it is, with the White Sox, can't he play right away? Not He probably won't play right away, but he'll certainly play quicker. Right, and so I kind of had a suspicion that's where he would go. Yeah. Because even though the Cardinals are more prepared to win... Immediately, he's going to go where he can play. Yeah. You know, you're just going to always, you're going to want to play. You're going to want to play on a major league team and get all that, uh, whatever, publicity. So you're, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. It makes sense for him. And when, so. the, when the initial reports were coming out about Rivera signing with the White Sox, there were these, there's sort of this dance on Twitter of people arguing, oh, well, were the Cardinals outbid? And then there would be people who would sort of, defend it as, oh, well, they actually offered more money than the White Sox, which doesn't appear to have actually been the case. But they said this as like, oh, well, he signed with the White Sox because he felt more comfortable with the White Sox, which kind of is worse for me as a fan to think that guys are like constantly taking less money to avoid playing for the Cardinals. But I think in the end it was a combination of opportunity to make more money down the road by virtue of being able to play on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and also you know making a pretty good amount of money now and there may have been some help by the fact that 
he has association with Yoan Moncada, association with Jose Abreu. That was another thing I was going to mention, is that there's more Cuban players up in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have Alemis Diaz. I don't know what kind of relationship he has. There's always this tendency, I think, with American fans to assume that people who are from the same country are, like, best friends. I well, don't want to do that, but... The- they're not necessarily best friends because they're from the same country, but the Cube, like the Cuban and the Dominican, and those ba- the baseball circles are small. I mean, they are into baseball, obviously. But like, yeah. I've talked to, I got the chance to talk to Carlos Martinez's agent one time, and we were talking about this, and he said, "Yeah, everyone in baseball kind of knows each other because that's how tight the baseball circle is yeah. in those sort of countries." So I'm sure he knows them or yeah. knows of them. And you hear that like in the NBA a lot too, where guys who came up like going to like AAU tournaments and playing on the same travel teams when they were in high school, and then they go to college and they go to pros and they have this network and it happens I guess in hockey too with junior hockey and college and all that and but at the same time like Jonathan Papelbon and Bryce Harper are from the same country and they did not appear to get along oh yeah it's a bigger country though like you think of I don't know how big Cuba is but it's what is it smaller than Texas right and you gotta think two yeah two players from Illinois that are both you know Americans are both from Illinois and are this elite level of baseball probably know each other you know because they just run into each other eventually if you're playing in those leagues so it makes sense i think that may be the case i as i said i don't have a i just like to prove you wrong and contradict you in any way i possibly can so i saw this opportunity and i took it i understand the appeal (laughs) i i get it but like i don't want to get too worked up about a player that i've never actually seen play right it's always my uh, hesitation on these things, but... I get the appeal, especially since the Cardinals won't have very many picks in the yeah. upcoming draft to spend on the international market, but... It is disappointing coming in second again on a free... Like. Right, but, I mean, really, everyone's... You can't really complain about... Because they're trying to spend money. So if you're coming in second, at least you're trying. Uh, I, I feel like people have the right to complain. I don't know. I'm actually a lot more irritated on this one, I guess, than I was like on coming second to David Price, for instance, because when it comes to a major league free agent, you're really going over the top on the offers. The way the market is, guys are making a lot more money, whereas Luis Robert signed for like Brett Cecil money. And I'm not I'm not one of these, you know, people who just wants to rip Brett Cecil at every turn. He had a good outing the other day actually, but it's not as much of a cost. And like the money's gonna have to be spent somewhere or it's just going to be pocketed. I, I at this point don't know where else because you're not spending it on high draft pick this draft picks this year. The free agent class this off season is not particularly good. Maybe they're waiting for 2018, make a run at Manny Machado or whomever. But it's also hard for me to imagine that actually happening. I just don't think spending money just to spend it. The reason why they've had the sustained run of success is because they have. A model that they follow and even if they have the money to spend if a player is not going to be worth that money I don't want them to spend it because that's money they could spend on a different asset it's sort of of a tightrope because I agree don't spend money to spend money but at the same time I also don't want to save money just to save money like the whole idea of oh well we're going to be this really smart savvy organization that doesn't spend a lot of money on free agents like that doesn't have any sort of inherent appeal to me it's appealing if it's going to help you in other ways but like the cardinals let's put it this way in a vacuum if the cardinals had signed like jason hayward 
while he's not worth the contract that he's had with the Cubs, the Cardinals would be a better team. If you tell me that the alternative to signing Jason Hayward is signing X, Y, and Z, and they're better players and they're more productive, that's one thing. They got Dexter Fowler. Yeah. You think if they signed Jason Hayward, they would go after Dexter Fowler the following year? I mean, Maybe? they technically could. It's not right. like they're against the rules to sign more players. Right. It's not a strict think, salary cap. Do you cap. think they would have? I don't know. Well, probably not. So, in the, in the long run, they got Dexter Fowler. And he might end up being a more productive player than Hayward. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Considering we said we didn't really have any strong opinions on Luis Robert, we've gone a while on next Yeah, really. I don't have a strong opinions on Luis Robert. Yeah. I just have strong opinions on the idea that the, Card- that the Cardinals are a failure because they're outbid again. Like, it happens. They're bidding. It's a, a bidding type of thing. It's just something that happens. You can't. I don't get how you can claim that someone's being cheap when they're out there bidding on things and just getting overbid by other yeah. people. It's one of these things that sort of, it's so... Like, do you just want them to be, go insane and just be like, all the money! Give them all the money! You know? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, but, but like they can't do that. They have to stay within the, what they think is right. But this so. is one of those things that's always sort of decided, you know, at the margins to determine how public opinion is going to change on this, because... On one hand, you have situations where the Cardinals get outbid, but then when the Cardinals sign Dexter Fowler, you hear things, or whenever they re-sign Yadier Molina, you hear things, and I tend to disagree with these things from like national media, like, oh, the Cardinals went over the top to make this signing or to make this re-signing. And so the Cardinals also get criticized when they spend money. So <laughs> you know, I, I want to be fair about things here, but I, I, I think we have to always you know, be cognizant of... The fact that whether or not it's actually happening, the possibility of ownership taking advantage of goodwill just to not spend money and to sort of treat the Cardinals fan base as, you know, like take them for granted as, oh, they're going to spend money no matter how good or bad the team is, so we might as well cut corners while we can. The possibility of that happening always exists, so it's fair to be skeptical. I don't know if this is the time to, this is the battle to pick. Personally, I'd rather pick the battle here than on you know some of the smaller cases where it's happened. But you know, whatever. I think this is this is a battle in a war. It's not like signing Luis Rivera was going to be the deciding factor in the future of the Cardinals franchise. Though at the same time, I look at thirty million dollars and I think, oh well, he doesn't have to be that good to be worth it on like a dollar per war sort of model. But again, I don't actually know anything about him, so. It's all just blind speculation. But the roster move that was made by the Cardinals uh, the day before certainly made some news. Um, Again, I've seen how it's pronounced. I've heard it pronounced. I'm still working on it. It's nothing personal. I'm not trying to slight him in any way, but I may screw it up. Uh, It's Magneri. That's what I've seen. Magneri. Because it is hard. Because I don't want to sound like... Like I said last week, I don't want to do like the Bob Clemente thing where I'm just kind of not taking a player whose nation of origin speaks a different language than mine. Like, make it sound like their name being said the way they want it to be said doesn't matter. It's just a matter of my own ignorance. Yeah, you don't want to be that, uh, that guy that pronounces the name incorrectly with confidence and just continues to do it. And it's like, Unless ad- you're Mike Shannon, and then you can get away with it for some reason. Yeah. Or They're- Tim McCarver calling uh, Dexter Fowler Derek. Yeah, well, that's a whole <laughs> different story. But I mean, he is how 
don't know how old he is, but he is like eight, well, almost 80. He's not that old, but... Is he? I think he's in his 70s. I said almost 80. We, we, well, almost. It's like saying I'm almost 38 years old. I'm not, but... That's like 10 years older than what you actually are. If he's 75 and I say almost 80, okay. then technically I am right. Okay, well, you can look it up. I'll explain the the move that happened. Uh, Sierra was uh, sent down to A Springfield, which sounds like a, a big demotion, but then you remember that he was in high A when he was promoted to the Cardinals, so... You 75. Know, okay. So <laughs> mid-70s, but sort of in a roundabout way, he ended up getting a promotion to A Springfield. He played well with the Cardinals. He had... Um, he All of his hits were singles, admittedly. The defensive number... He was technically a below-average defender by the defensive metrics, but... What played way, way too few innings I'm to... Sorry, what do you have, like, ten catches or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, way too... Like, just eye test based on what other people have said. He looked pretty good defensively. Uh, speed was there. He didn't get any stolen bases, I don't believe. I think but, there was one. Oh, yeah, there was one. That's right. In his final game. But a lot of uh, speed in terms of just rounding the bases quickly. And, it was awesome to watch. It was yeah. really fun. And I wrote about that last week in anticipation of him being sent down. Of like, let's just appreciate this for what it is because he's going to get sent down. If he weren't going to get sent down, he wasn't going to keep this up. But let's just enjoy it for what it is. But he ended up getting sent down. And uh, Johnny Peralta was activated off of the uh, disabled list. There were a lot of Cardinals fans who wanted Peralta gone. We just mm-hmm. wanted him just outright, you know, designated for assignment and just, you know, eat the contract. Because he's only under contract through the rest of the year. What were your thoughts on the move? Either part of it, really, I guess. I That was the move I was expecting, and I think it's fine. I don't have a problem with Peralta being... As long as Peralta's not going to displace Jed Jerko at third base, which I don't believe yeah. is going to be happening, I have no problem with him being just a really expensive bench player because... You're paying the money anyway. You're paying the money regardless of whether you cut him or not. And there's a pretty good chance that he was just legitimately sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a decent yeah. chance that he was actually sick. So let's just... you're. There's not really any better replacements... I don't see Yeah, I think the odds are pretty good that Johnny Peralta's more or less done, but I'm not willing to say with 100% certainty of that. I'm much more confident that Sierra had batted above his head. And Johnny Peralta, in his he had six plate appearances in the series against the Giants, and he got four singles. So basically he kept up what Sierra was doing, which was just getting <laughs> singles. and cer- Being way, way worse on the base paths, but that's... <laughs> that's true. The, the gap on the bases is pretty uh, steep. It's but like... On a 1 to 10 scale, like a 10, and then Peralta's a 1. <laughs> Negative 10. He breaks the scales, which sounds like a fat joke, but I assure you is not. Yeah, Peralta's jacked. Yeah. That that was, like, we, we've both, um, I didn't really meet Johnny Peralta, but I saw him within, like, a foot of me one time. And it was just marveling at <laughs> how unbelievably ripped he is. <laughs> which I know people are going to snark. Well, you know how he got so ripped, right? But yeah. You know, besides that, he obviously is a very strong man. But weren't those um, PEDs he took? Wasn't wasn't it a diet pill? I don't remember. We might have to ask Joe about that because when it comes to any sort of drugs, yeah, I, I don't. He, he's the drug guy. Yeah, I don't know the. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it was diet pills, which I just find like not adorable, but it's sort of sad. Like 
he thought he was too chubby, and so he took PEDs. I think you may be giving a little too much benefit of the doubt, but regardless, <laughs> but regardless of that's all in his past, and at this point, you just evaluate Peralta for what he is. He didn't start on Friday or Saturday. He did start on Sunday. He uh, went two for four and got two singles. Uh, Jerko, I guess, just had the day off. I, I, if you want to give him a day off, that's fine. As long as yeah, as long as Peralta is not playing constantly, then I'm fine with that. And I understand the concern that he'll jump back into that. And at that point, I kind of fear that Johnny Peralta is going to get the same thing as Matt Adams, where the feeling is that he's being um, gotten rid of just to sort of save Mike Matheny from himself. Mm-hmm. But in, like in a vacuum, if you want to say you think Johnny Peralta should be released, that's fine. But I don't think it was for Magnary Sierra that you were going to do it. Because once uh, Piscotti got activated, which was the next day, Sierra just wasn't going to have a role. And is the amount is the amount that you're willing to assume that Peralta's completely done, are you so confident in that that you're willing to keep Sierra up for an additional day? I, I don't think so. Like, on Friday, they kind of rolled the dice because they didn't have any outfielders. I assume that Matt Adams probably would have played in left field had something happened to... Or I guess Diaz could have, again. Had something happened to Pham, Gritchick, or Fowler, but it didn't. And then Piscotti was back on uh, on Saturday. So that ended up working out. And Like, I'm excited to track Sierra going forward because he was a fun player for the time that he was with the Cardinals, but it was a temporary move. It was never a thing that was going to be a long-term thing. Tommy Pham, I guess, is up for good now, though. Cool. Which I'm in, like, I guess technically we have to wait until Martinez is off, Jose Martinez is off the disabled list, but Mm -hmm. it's good to see that Alex Crisofoli did not ruin Tommy Pham by pointing out that he liked the fan graphs uh, tweet about their post about how bad Matt Adams was in left field. (laughs) Which is still just the fact that Tommy Fam not only liked that tweet, but I believe still has it liked. Let, yeah, let, let me pull that up because it. it's not like Tommy Fam is one of those athletes or one of those people who just likes every single tweet that like is ever posted on Twitter. I, I say while staring at Heather, <laughs> but um, for a while your pin tweet actually was um, I, like I like a lot of tweets. tweets. Let me uh, let, let me check Tommy Pham's Twitter. I don't follow him on Twitter because he's an athlete not named Dexter Fowler, so I don't, obviously. Uh, Tommy Pham. He has had... He actually liked a couple of Fangraphs posts. Six, he apparently um, reads Fangraphs, which is pretty cool, I think. He's liked a, he's liked a few t- more tweets since then. Okay, yeah, he, he still does have What's the Point of the Matt Adams Outfield Experiment liked... Which has a, a great picture on it for the article of Matt Adams uh, falling backwards in left field. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, where, what was I even talking about? Anyway, Fam appears uh, to be up here at least until he struggles mightily again, which you know, could very well happen. But I think it's his job as fourth outfielder until he loses it. For all we know, if uh, Randall Gritchick keeps struggling, he's been kind of hit or miss lately. You know, <laughs> like literally. Oh, brother. All right. <laughs> That's a joke because he strikes out a lot, in case you're wondering. Thanks. Thanks, Heather. But, yeah, so I think that that's going to end up uh, being the way the Cardinals go going forward. The uh, The baseball games over the weekend, obviously yesterday on Sunday they won. 
cool. cheap drinks were um, earned and such. Uh, the game before was the stupidest game. As I said before, I went to it. Carlos Martinez was magnificent. He pitched nine innings. He pitched what was basically a Maddox, which is a complete game shutout of you know nine innings while pitching under 100 pitches. Mm-hmm. And he didn't actually get the Maddox, though, because the Cardinals could not score a run. <laughs> the Cardinals finally scored a run in the 13th inning on the bottom half after the Giants had scored three runs. Baseball is just the worst sport. I, just, <laughs> I, I hate this so much, but... Yeah, seeing the Cardinals get mowed down by Jeff Samarja was not ideal. But, you know, seeing the, the starting performances was nice. And Friday's game was a bit of a heartbreaker as well. Dexter Fowler had a what should have been a really big, like... I hate to say a welcome to the Cardinals moment because he had a few of them. Uh-huh. I feel like he's had a few moments where Dexter Fowler did something great and then the team kind of fell apart around him. Yeah. <laughs> and ruined it. He had some pretty good pinch-hitting moments, though, when he was hurt. Yeah, and, and Fowler, and he had that one game that the Cardinals won 2-1, and he hit two home runs during the game. It's like Kane has jumped back up onto Heather's lap, and may, maybe Kane has a, a take on Dexter Fowler. Excuse you. He sneezed. Okay, we may have to actually edit that part. But if, uh, but Dexter Fowler, uh, oh, oh, wow, he's getting right up. I need to probably send him down, but I don't want to. I've spent months trying to get Heather to sit closer to the microphone, and her dog got closer to the microphone than she has ever gotten <laughs> right there. Again, we're going to have to make him the episode. Maybe not for this episode, because I feel like it's probably a Matt Adams picture, but maybe we'll somehow include him in it. But uh, Kane's brother, Matt, uh, pitched on Sunday and the Cardinals won. That's my only uh, tie-in to the dog at this point. He is a he is a needy thing, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Okay. <laughs> but. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, but. Yeah, that's pretty much my, uh, my main notes. Uh, Matt Carpenter's uh, base running faux pas on Saturday was not awesome. Yet he got a double, which he seemed to think was a triple. In the bottom of the ninth to lead off the inning, and yeah. He gets thrown out on the bases a lot, doesn't he? This keeps happening, and like, there's something going on with the Cardinals that this is a problem every single year, that their base running is just terrible. Like, the fact they don't have fast guys I can deal with, but they don't seem to realize that they're not fast. Yeah. Like, if you have guys who aren't able to beat out a possible triple for some guys for a triple, I can handle that. But getting the out, all of a sudden, all of the the good that came with it is completely gone at that point. And so, it was frustrating, and the Red Sox games were frustrating. They lost both of them. The The Wednesday game was a particularly annoying loss, but the 67 Cardinals came back. There were a lot of them that came back and uh, joined in festivities. Gave away the uh, the championship rings on Wednesday. Apparently, um, men and women both liked them <laughs> as the replica souvenirs that they were, and not as actual pieces of jewelry. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the one other uh, baseball story that happened over the last week that I think is probably worth mentioning. We mentioned Jose Batista earlier, but. Uh, an incident with his teammate, Kevin Pillar, whose name I always feel like I'm mispronouncing. I know I'm not. Pillar? I always feel like I'm mispronouncing it because I feel like I'm just ripping off Kevin Millar 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always feel like... Because whenever he first came up, I always would think that they were talking about Kevin Millar. But this is my own stupidity, and that's not the point. (laughs) But uh, Kevin Millar ended up... He was suspended for two games and fined for using a uh, homophobic slur during a game. And this is a thing that's been really in sports news in general because... um, in the NHL playoffs, a player for the Mighty Ducks, or they're the Ducks now, sorry. It's 10 years past being called the Mighty Ducks. But the Anaheim Ducks, um, Ryan Getzlaff, was fined. He wasn't suspended, though a lot of people said he should have been for using a homophobic slur as well during a game. And it's one of those things that every time this happens, and there, there are countless, like every fan base does this, has like... This niche of people who talk about the players being soft or talk about the players, um, you know, not being real men, whatever that means or anything like that, which seems to reinforce the reason that, you know, making these sort of statements is a problem in the first place. But um, be better, people. Yeah. That's, I think, the main point to be made. I remember our old friend's best fan, St. Louis, of course, pointed (laughs) out... um, a Cardinals fan page of people saying that it was like PC culture or whatever that got Pilar suspended. They, of course, did not link to, and this is the exact same thing that happened with Dexter Fowler in January or February, whenever it was. They, of course, did not link to the story of the similar Cubs page that was doing the exact same thing. This is across the board. These things happen. And like, if these things happen in a workplace, it wouldn't be tolerated. Like, if you started, like, saying these things to a coworker, you, you know, would get reprimanded for it. It would not, like, you might just get fired on the spot. So I don't think suspending players is exactly an outlandish thing. And, like, you can easily say, oh, I don't think Kevin Pillar actually hates gay people. I don't think he meant any actual offense by it. And, like, you're probably right, but you still can't say those things. Right. Like, you know, intent is one thing, but you also have to be smarter about things. And like, and the Cardinals, you know, have, have a history with this. They have the uh, situation last year, I believe it was, with uh, Tyler Dunnington, who was a minor league player who ended up coming out after his playing career was over. And he would talk about how, like, players, and I think there may have been coaches, but definitely players, were saying, like, really horrible things about... And it wasn't just saying, like, you know, schoolyard sort of words about gay people. It was, like, directly, like, I think gays should be stoned sort of, like, talk. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's this culture in sports that, like, all the leagues and, to some extent, the teams are much more open and upfront of, like, no, this is not okay. Like, there's the You Can Play initiative... There's like Outsports, which is the SB Nation site devoted to LGBT sort of issues within the sporting world. But if they're not going to patrol the players, there's going to be that level of discomfort. And I I just wouldn't want to see that happening in the same way that I wouldn't want to see discomfort like with uh, Adam Jones a couple weeks ago where he was, you know, hearing racist taunts at Fenway Park. Like. We don't want people to be excluded from sports because even if you ignore just the, you know, the social implications of all people should be treated equally, which of course is true, if more people are part of the playing pool, the sport's going to be better. 
Not only are you going to have better players available, you're going to have people who grew up playing the sport, who grew up feeling like they were part and they were involved with the sport, which is, I mean, a little bit close to what we talked about last week with, you know, female fans. Like, there aren't any women in the major leagues. You know, whether a woman ever plays in the major leagues, honestly, women probably are never going to be, like, 50-50 in the major leagues. You know, who knows, you know, evolution, but, you know, probably not going to happen anytime soon. But that's not the point. The point is you want a league where everybody's included, whether or not they actually join the party is one thing, but you want everybody there because it makes the entire thing better. And I think that with the Kevin Pillar situation, it was handled correctly. I'm not saying a player says a gay slur and you kick them out forever. You don't have Mm -hmm. to go over the top with it. But I think that a suspension and a fine is perfectly reasonable I think more players would think twice about the things they say, too. Because, like, I I agree with you. I don't feel like he even necessarily intentionally meant it. Um, And I feel like he probably did sincerely regret it. I know we all say things we don't mean sometimes and get upset. But the fact is, like, that that was something that possibly could have said. You know, he should have been in trouble for it, and he was. Yeah. He just shouldn't. That's it's not cool. Don't say those things. Yeah. Whenever I heard the story, and this is off of baseball, but whenever I heard about the story of um, Ryan Getzlaff and what he had said on the ice during the hockey game, like, it took me a second to think, is that actually, like, a slur? Like, it's it's a rude thing, and obviously, if you don't know what it was, you can look it up, but... Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you can look up what the term was, but I remember at first it never really registered to me as being a gay slur, but also I'm like a heterosexual man, so I don't think in those terms necessarily, but that's the problem is that it can't just be about whether it offends you. It has to be about whether it's going to offend somebody, and if it does, why would you want that as part of like the sporting culture? And like, I feel like it's such an obvious point to make, but just be better as people. Like, don't say these things. Don't, you know, do things that are going to hurt people. Don't be exclusive. Like, sports are at their best when everybody is, like, part of the equation. And, like, the biggest sporting league in North America and possibly the world at this point is the National Football League. And you can say a lot of like horrible things about what's going on in the National Football League and you know certainly you give me a couple drinks and I will go off on all of them. But you know for now the one thing that they absolutely do right is that they at least on the surface level try to embrace everybody. Like, it's the most popular league in the country among white fans, black fans, Hispanic fans. Like, it's just the biggest league, period, men, women. And some of their ratings in the last year or two have, uh, they started to plateau and then they dipped a little bit. And the people always had all sorts of theories, like the whole Colin Kaepernick thing or whatever. But I think the main reason is probably that there's, like, this huge, you know, culture of, like, anger towards sort of this idea that they don't care about women. Because mm-hmm. you have, like, the incident, like, with Ray Rice and... Uh, I'm trying to remember other specific players off the top From of my the, head. the Cowboys. What's his face? The Cowboys. The oh, the Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy. Yeah, you, but yes. You, and the Panthers. went to the Panthers after that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have things like that that happen. I think that's, you know, part of the problem is that people feel excluded. So, like, well... You know, if I'm a woman and this league doesn't care if there's these players that just clearly hate women, then why should I care about them? 
And if a sport is going to have a culture that makes gay people feel like the sport doesn't care for them, then people are not going to gay people are not going to be as willing to give back to the sport, which it hurts everybody involved. And like I know that the St. Louis Cardinals have never had a Pride Night. I think it would be a neat thing if they did, but obviously I'm not the one who's in charge of that sort of thing. Generally, I'm not somebody who campaigns for more theme nights because there's just a million of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that would be a good one personally. Not not to get too into like you know the politics of it or anything, but. I think generally speaking, if you're viewing, I want more people to feel comfortable as like a political issue, the problem is probably not with the inclusive person. The, pro- <laughs> the, person, the problem is probably with the person who wants to um, keep things exactly the way they are because they care more about being able to say off-color things or make off-color jokes than they do about how people feel. And I feel like that ends my uh, my bleeding heart rant for the night. <laughs> Do you have any other uh, comments since I've been going on for God knows how long? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I think I covered all the bases yeah, there. You, you got it, I think. I got I'm, this one under control. It was overkill. But hey, we're going to keep this episode under an hour, it looks like. Unless you had any other things you wanted to say, in which case, speak now or forever hold your peace. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, L-I-L underscore Scooter 93. Read my writing at VivaAlbertos.com, Monday through Friday at 12 noon. All right. Um, does Kane have a Twitter account yet? No, I've actually been thinking about helping him start one, but... Lack of opposable thumb thing kind of a problem, or... I mean, it'd be a little hunt and peck, but... <laughs> I get can it. Figure it out. Yeah, I feel like if anyone's qualified to train him in hunt and peck, it's the writer of the hunt and peck section of yes. the Alberta's. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at johnjf125. Read my writing at Viva Alberta's. Um, I had apparently had a post go up on the other website I write for while we were um, talking here, so you can check out uh, soundwordsstl.com and read my uh, writing about Chris Cornell. So that's a thing you can uh-huh. do. Could be a could be a fun read. I haven't read the edited version, so it's possible that it's been mangled. And if you don't like it, I'm blaming the editor. <laughs> I don't care. I, I will throw everyone under the bus rather than take some sort of personal responsibility. But you can follow Viva Albertos uh, on Twitter at Viva Albertos, Facebook.com slash Viva Albertos. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast now, so you know whatever avenue works for you. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Recommend the podcast to others. All that good stuff. Bye.